0: You're listening to Church Unplugged, the podcast of Christ Community Chapel. In each episode, we look at questions and topics that are connected to our faith in Jesus and to the way that it plays out in our everyday lives. In this episode, we're talking about raising kids to be Christians. So if you're a Christian and you're a parent, one of the most or the most important role you can play in your life or the most important thing you can see happen in your child's life is that they would come to know and love Jesus. And so how does that actually play out? How do we as parents point our kids to Jesus without forcing them to make a decision before they're ready or the one that is inauthentic? Uh, how do we actually show them who Jesus is and help them? What role do we play in their faith in God? Welcome into Church Unplugged. Welcome into Church Unplugged. I'm Jimmy Cozy, part of the leadership team here at Christ Community Chapel. I've got with me today Joe Coffee, our lead pastor, uh, Zach Wyrock, who's another member of our leadership team, and then Sarah Coons, our director of kids ministry. Uh, our topic today is Uh, leading our kids to meet Jesus. And so uh, everybody around this table has kids. You listening to this podcast might have kids as well. And if if you are a Christian, of course, one of the most important things or the most important thing you can do as a parent is to help your kid come to know and love Jesus. But that can be a tricky process because sometimes kids will do something only because their parents want them to do it or because another trusted adult in their life is telling them to do it. And so then, you know, I've heard stories of people that I know, even that I grew up with, who made a profession of faith in Jesus way back when, because they were at a camp or something where everybody around them was doing it. And then, you know, their life has not reflected that. And have they've walked away from their faith if they had it in the first place. and then So we just want to talk through what does that actually look like as a parent? How can we uh, have those conversations with our kids in a way that points them to Jesus without pressuring them to feel like, you know, I'm telling you this, telling you to do this because I'm your parent and you have to listen to me, but to actually give them the ability to meet Jesus and make a decision for him on his merits and nothing else. How do we navigate and that? And I know
1: that, yeah, this was precipitated you know by you. You have young kids and you realized, uh, you, just, you said it before we started the podcast, that you realized that you could get your children to pray just about anything mm-hmm. if you wanted them to. I got candy, so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's the thing,
2: All right. I mean, I think the best place to start is uh, you can't. You can't raise children to love Jesus. It is not a behavior modification discipline thing. That's not a cop-out. I think there are a lot of things you can do and should do and must do to contribute to the work of God. But I think the best starting point is to say... Only God makes Christians. You can't be born a Christian. You can't be raised to be a Christian. Uh, only God can take dead bones to borrow from Ezekiel and and make them come alive. So you start by confessing that. I think you start by uh, begging God, seeking God, seeking the Holy Spirit's help in helping your kids to see the beauty of Jesus, and realizing that there's not a devotional or a Family worship plan or a parental talk that you can give that will turn your kids into Christians. And most of the stories I think that we could tell of people we knew grew up in the church and ended up walking away from the church, if we really look at their stories, uh, what you often find are well meaning, well intentioned parents, teachers, you know, Sunday school leaders, youth leaders who forgot that we have to be wary of creating or engineering uh, kids to become Christians in our own strength and our own power. That is not how we became Christians. That is not how anybody becomes a Christian. To borrow from Paul in Ephesians 2, it is when God, who is rich in mercy, causes us to be alive that we become uh, Christians. So we begin just by confessing Uh, our dependency upon God. And the reason why I say that is not just that we'd be careful to not engineer or manipulate or strong-arm our children, but also because that really means no matter who you are as a parent, whether you know the Bible backwards and forwards or you don't, whether you've been a Christian for a long time or not, whether you are a strong Christian or a weak Christian, you have the same odds. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like you, you are not because it doesn't rise and fall upon you. So, so we are all equally dependent, which means if you feel like I'd like to do this, but I can't, you're in a great place to start. That's actually a great place to start is to confess your inadequacy rather than thinking, oh, I got this. I, I'm armed with all these resources and tools and, and I'll for sure produce children who love Jesus.
3: Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. I think, uh, again, it starts with when we even have baby dedication, right, at, at, at church, and it's a child. What are we saying? We're saying, this child is yours. You know, you gave me this child um, to steward well. And so I think that idea of just laying it all at the feet of Jesus. But I would say, like, as a Christian parent, I do feel a responsibility to uh, raise my child in a way where they understand who Jesus is and how much he loves them. So I, th- I, I really think sometimes we as parents make this way more complicated than it needs to be. I think for me, just in, like every conversation is an opportunity with your child, no matter if they're two years old or 18 years old. So if you have this biblical mindset or a Christian worldview from which you're operating, then every conversation you have with your child can reflect that. And I think that is a form of discipleship. And I also think for us, we need to mirror that for our kids. You know, they're watching, they're watching how we talk, how we act, what we read. Um, So I think mirroring that for them is really important as well.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, like Blaise Pascal uh, Mm -hmm. said, to uh, show the gospel – in such a way that it makes good men wish it to be true, then show it to be true. And I would think that's the same thing with kids that we wanna we wanted to raise our kids so that they saw the beauty of the gospel and they saw Jesus uh, as somebody that they would uh, long, you know, to know. But to show it to be true means that we had to to live our lives in such a way that uh, Jesus that they could see uh, the impact of the gospel in our lives. But yeah.
2: Yeah, I think it's the difference between uh, gospel proclamation and what I would call gospel permeation. And I think most parents think of of um, gospel proclamation, and what they mean is that these moments where they're going to be able to have these conversations right. with their kids and answer big theological questions and share the gospel. It's kind of like when I was a kid, there was this format for family television where For 28 minutes of an episode, a kid would be getting into trouble and doing something bad, and there'd be this last two minutes of the episode where music would start playing, and the mom or dad would sit down with the kid, and they'd have a talk, and they would get through to them. And most parents think raising children, uh, pointing them to Jesus, that's what it is. It's those two-minute conversations where you can say something deep and profound, and you don't want to blow those moments. And those moments can be meaningful, but I actually think it's more important that the gospel permeates how you live as a family. So how you think about discipline, how you think about structure, how you think about kindness in the home, forgiveness, how you, how your family treats outsiders, how you you think about using your home in terms of loving your neighbor and not retreating from your neighbor, these kinds of things, which instead allow the gospel to kind of soak in mm-hmm. instead of these big moments, which you may get or may not get... Where your kid may be paying attention, may not be paying attention. And I think this is what uh, God means in Deuteronomy when he tells Israel, you know, write it on your forehead and write it on your hand and put it on your doorpost. He's just saying, like, saturate your right. home with it, saturate your family with it, talk about it all the mm-hmm. time, make it part of the warp and woof of what you do so that over time, if your kid retains a little bit here, a little bit here, a little bit here, they're starting to get. Uh, the bigger picture, and I think too many parents think proclamation, big moments, big conversations, and not permeation, which is uh, which is where I think it really happens.
1: And I would tell you, that I'm Sarah and I are the only ones that have uh, grown kids now. You get to join me in that. But the one two of the older that I, people, yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> I'm not uh, that old. One of the things that uh, I would uh, tell a parent is that um, don't be surprised when your child gets to be in high school or college and they bring up uh, big foundational questions Mm -hmm. about their faith. Uh, I remember being in college and one of my professors talked about um, second generation Christians, third generation Christians and like uh, swallowing big chunks of truth like big pieces of meat. And because, you know, I remember when I grew up, I grew up in the church. My dad's a pastor. There wasn't a time where I wasn't taught who Jesus was, what he did for me. I accepted it. I felt like I gave my life to Christ, you know, when I was five or six, whatever. But I didn't understand it. And then when, so at some point, this professor was saying that every child that, that learns their faith like that, at some point will throw it up and need to cut it up and chew it up yep. and, and make it their own. that is a uh, disgusting metaphor yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is <laughs> but very effective, yes, yeah, now he's now the professor said that's a very scary time for parents mm-hmm. because the the tendency is to grab the chunk you know you want you want the the metaphor to get worse then shove it back down perfect um but for me because I was prepared for that, so when each one of my kids went through mm-hmm. that, then I could uh not panic and go, oh, those are great questions, let's go, let's right. sit down. Let's talk about it, because they're starting to—they would go outside of our home and for the first time be confronted with uh, kind of some mm-hmm. well-thought-out arguments they had never heard before that went against the faith, and they just want to try to figure it out. So, Yeah,
2: yeah. I, think, I think I would also say to that, similar to that, is that really, I think parents tend to fixate—and I get why this is, but they tend to fixate on the position of their child at any given moment. Like, what would my child say right now about— Jesus about their faith in Jesus instead of viewing it as a, a process. So you know when when my children were born, you know each one of them comes with at least a built-in you know Lord willing they're healthy they live they live uh, through the duration of this comes with an 18 year clock that is ticking, and I think I think sometimes parents can can almost put too much emphasis on any given moment instead of saying. Hey, this is a a process in which my child, at different times, just like me, by the way, is going to have moments where they're asking a lot of <laughs> questions and they're thinking about a lot of things, and they seem to be growing or not growing or getting closer or not. And then they're going to have other moments where you know they're sitting in church and I'm having to tell them, "Don't fidget, stop messing with that, pay attention, right?" and 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 just viewing it as a long game of right. discipleship. You know, I, I've told this story before, but when we first were raising our our, our first child, Deacon, uh, who's who's almost 14 now, but when he was our only kid, 18 months or so, and uh, I would be going to discipline him, and I would be telling him about sin and the need for a Savior and, and how Jesus had come when Jesus was a little boy. He didn't do these things. And I, someone in my family kind of laughed when they saw me do it. They said, well, he's not listening to any of that. And I said, you're probably right. I'm not training him. I'm training me, right? And it, it's... Kind of saying that I have 18 years of, and the way I want to respond to this kid's sin is not stop inconveniencing me, stop bothering me, stop, but is preaching the gospel to him. I'm going to get, you know, 3,000 chances where I'm having these moments of correction. And I want those to be gospel opportunities, not simply don't do this opportunities. I think that's the point about playing the long game instead of, you know, looking for big moments and riding the high or low of big moment to big moment. Yeah.
3: And I would say too, like, it's okay, like, don't be afraid to ask your kid questions, too. Like, they can ask you a lot, but it's okay to go back and ask them the same, like, big questions, hard questions. Because I think it is important as your kids grow older that they need to be critical thinkers. You know, like, you talk about your kids getting older and then starting to have these conversations and going, oh, I don't know how to, you know, I don't know how to operate. Is this faith really my own? And for my older kids, too, we've really a lot of what we've been doing is hey they get it in their head before it to actually have traveled to their heart right. and make a difference in everything they do, how they make decisions, the friends that they keep, um, who they're going to date. Like that's you know, I'm done telling you the right and wrong stuff. You know, now we're focused on like okay, so what does God say about this and how, how does that impact your life? And I think that's really important, but I, I want to say too just from a practical standpoint because of the position that I serve at at the church and just, you know, questions that I get from parents like that one of the best things that you can do with your kids early on is um not only be spending but reading with them and reading books that are just allowing for really good conversations. Um there uh I I even just remember reading The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe with Noah and Jacob when they were about 5 years old. Um it was actually Matt was reading to them and I was watching the part where Aslan dies you know tears just coming down their faces because they they got they like got it they understood who that was and what they what that meant for them and there was no like major decision was made nothing happened but that was a very powerful point in their life where Matt was able to speak into them like okay so this is what Jesus did for you and what does that look like for you um, so there's lots of really good resources. I could start naming a bunch, but I won't do that, but that's, that can be really meaningful and important, um, because kids do well with stories, books, and, um, putting those two together.
0: So I, uh, question I had, uh, because y- you all have older kids than I do. So my oldest is seven, but I know that, that yours are significantly older and some, and so, uh, for, I, I don't think any of my kids are yet confessing Christians, um, for you that for you guys that's that's not the case mm-hmm. uh, so my question is really two questions were you able to identify a moment when that happened when that changed and how did you know and then did that change the way that you interacted with your child as opposed to how you interacted with them prior to that moment when it comes to things of of faith
2: yeah, you know, it's interesting. On the first one, how, how do you know? I mean, I, you know, in some ways I would broaden it out and go, how do you know anyone's a Christian? I mean, really, right? I mean, the Bible, you know, we. it's interesting. There's this old doctrine uh, that, that when I was growing up in the church was called once saved, always saved. And, you know, it was the idea, if, if Jesus saved you, he was never going to let you go. I believe that's true. But historically, that it was never referred to as once saved, always saved, or eternal security. It was called perseverance of the saints, and the idea was all those who are who who are truly born again, they persevere. They last until the end. I mean, the truth is everybody around this table, I believe, loves Jesus. I suppose if at, you know, some point you walk off into the quote unquote wilderness and say, forget Jesus and walk away from your family, I might begin to rethink whether or not you actually right. So I, I, I think, you know, it's the same with your kids. I mean, you know, so if my child comes to me and says, uh you know i think i'd like to give my life to jesus i'm going to ask them the same kinds of questions i'd ask anybody what why what do you understand who is jesus what what has he done why would you give him anything what what's wrong with you that you need jesus you know and if they can articulate these things back to me not not with prompting not not me doing like a mad libs where they fill in the adjective or the noun but but if they can say to me i'm a sinner and jesus lived in my place and died in my place and rose from the dead and he's the king and i'm my i want my life to belong to him and i then I'm going to celebrate that. That may or may not, over the next few decades, right. prove to actually have been the case, right? Um, but but I'm not going to pour cold water on it. In the same way right. if somebody at the church says, Pastor, I've given my life to Christ, I'm going to have a conversation with them, right? And if they say all the right things, then I'm going to say, yeah, awesome, let's baptize you. This is great, right? Knowing full well that in 15 years of full-time ministry, I've seen people come and go and and uh so in some sense you don't know you you take them at their confession the same way you would any other person
1: yeah i think that's interesting for me for me personally like i my parents would probably say when i was like 6 right uh but i feel like when i was 19 i had what i call my adult conversion now but i still don't really know because I don't know if that if the reason I was so miserable away from God is because the Holy Spirit was pulling me back, uh, or because I finally understood and got it right. So I I would almost want to ask my kids, when when do you feel like you became a real believer? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think Zach is right. I, I you know I'm uh, hearing somebody say that like a junior high kid could never become a Christian. That that is a terrible thing to say, right? It is. Because you you have got to take them at their confession. There are people who, uh, you know, became Christians as soon as they understood Well,
2: and it mixes up the idea that intellectual knowledge is what saves you, right? right? I mean, whereas uh, I don't think that's biblical at all. You're saved by simple faith in Jesus through grace, right? So That's even the
0: image that Jesus uses of faith like like a
2: child. That's right,
1: yeah. (laughs) Well, and
3: I mean, let's give, like, our faith, I mean, we, there's a sanctification process that happens right. with right. our faith, right? right? So just, yeah. if a child becomes a Christian at five or six, like who they are 10 to 15 years down the road, I'm not the same person I was, you know, yeah. when I was, right. you five. know, became, right, five. and And honestly, my dad, I remember him... Asking me questions like, "Do you understand what you're doing?" And I remember being like, "I don't know." And I, I mean, I seriously, I think I became a Christian. I'm quoting here probably five times. Yeah. Oh, you know, man. at different camps oh, and yeah, different things. Yeah. Went, you know, I you're like, for,
1: I went forward. Like every yeah. time my dad gave an invitation, I, know, you're like, I, I just want to make sure well, nobody I'm, else was going. <laughs> I'm, in, I'm in, Dad. But I think that, I think that, to your point, if you were sitting down,
2: if you know, if I'm fortunate enough, uh, in in a decade to be sitting down with 24 year old deacon. Who's saying, I right. love Jesus, and I say to him, When do you think you did? Mm-hmm. There's a sense in which who cares? Right. Yeah. What matters <laughs> yeah, to me right. is that 24-year-old deacon is looking at me saying, I love Jesus, yeah. right? So right. that's what I want. I don't really right. care, you know, the, the process or the right. or the mechanism. In terms of how we parent, I think it does change based on, you know, yeah. as the kid gets older and their understanding. I mean, so our oldest three are confessing Christians. We will challenge mm-hmm. them and say, you know, you have said this is what you believe about Jesus. This this thing that you're doing is incongruous with mm-hmm. that, right? We we will challenge them at what does it mean to show up to corporate worship on Sunday saying I'm a follower of Jesus, expecting to hear from God, expecting for him to to have demands on your life and to want to shape and cultivate. And, and even sometimes saying, and I think this is a big thing, even sometimes saying, do you really mean your mm. confession? Like being okay as a parent— I, and here's the biggest, this is the biggest advice I could give to a parent listening to this, is to say that that your biggest, if you're if you're attending church and you're raising your kid in the church, the biggest danger to your child's faith is not rejection of the gospel, it's nominal yep. acceptance of the gospel. I'm just going to say that one more time. it's yeah, like you, being vaccinated. Yeah, you right? really need to hear this, okay? <laughs> no. Your biggest concern is not rejection of the gospel it's nominal acceptance of the gospel because a 17-year-old who is saying i do not believe this is actually very close to the gospel because what they're saying is i do not have a relationship with god right. i i am not surrendering yeah. my life to jesus so brokenness is 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 on the edge of their experience right as they butt up against life experiences they can't account for or whatever it might be it's the person who says oh yeah i'm a, i'm a mm-hmm. christian without any Real mm-hmm. meaning to that that becomes yeah to Joe's point inoculated so so that's where I think sometimes as a parent you participate by challenging mm-hmm. your child's confession and not simply by saying okay we got him across the finish line of praying a prayer right. our work is done right. who cares what comes next right. right? right but rather continuing to push and poke and prod thoughtfully, lovingly, um, because you're saying, I'd rather you say you reject the gospel, knowing that at least you are being honest about where you are, than I would you play at the gospel, because I think that, that
0: is a really tough spot to be in.